Hi, my name is Brad. Um, I think my body is accustomed to the 90 degree weather because I'm already sweaty. Um, and it's not, uh, and it hasn't even broke 60 yet. So my body's still recovering from yesterday. Uh, we had a great time with bonfire last week. For those of you who made it, I, I hope the sand has gotten away from you. Some of us got uh, parking tickets, and I apologize for that. Uh, it was a crazy day down at, at Golden Gardens, but we had a good time. We'll do it again soon, uh, so stay tuned. Uh, there's a story in the book of Mark that's one of my favorite stories uh, in, in the Gospels. Mark has this way of telling stories where he goes so fast. In fact, if you read Mark, it's almost like you have to stop and catch your breath because he just starts doing details and details and he just moves so quickly. Whereas if you look at like a Gospel of Luke, he's very long-winded. Uh, he, he'll talk for 40 minutes when five will really do. Luke is a doctor. Uh, and so he gives all the details that come with it. He probably has a messy signature. Uh, but Mark has this way of telling a story, but there's one story that he, he, re- he slows down. He gives us, uh, gives us enough detail to do some thinking. It's the story of this woman that for 12 years has had a medical condition. Now, if it was Luke, he would tell us what medical condition it was, but it's Mark, and so he doesn't care about the details. Don't let the details get in the way of a good story. Uh, so he has this woman who's had this medical condition for 12 years where there's been some kind of bleeding. Uh, We don't know what kind of bleeding, but blood in that culture, there's some guesses of what kind of bleeding it was, but blood in that culture meant that you were unclean. And when you're unclean in Jewish culture, means that your life and the way you live is kind of set apart from everybody else. You, You can't worship in the temple. If this woman was married, there was no way that she would be able to touch her husband uh, she wouldn't be able to do uh, dishes. She wouldn't be able to sweep, which maybe it's not a bad idea to be unclean. Uh, but she would be ostracized from a lot of the things that were happening in, in, around her home. She'd be pushed to the side. And then it, Luke, Mark goes into a little bit more detail that she's tried for 12 years to f- get this problem fixed. Uh, Mark says that she had used some of the, the, the ways of the law that's prescribed, the Talmud, which is the commentary on the rabbinic law that they were, that the Jews in the first century followed, had these kind of superstitious ways to fix conditions that she might have had. One of them was to carry around an ostrich egg, because uh, that'll work. And so, I mean, it's, it just seems ridiculous. But the text goes into detail and says, that she had spent almost all of her money for 12 years to try and fix this problem that she had. Put yourself in her shoes. For 12 years, you've had a disease. And, most, and some of us have, have experienced this. All of your money, all of your energy, all of your thoughts, everything goes into this condition that you have. And nothing can cure it. This woman's exhausted. And then she hears that Jesus is going to be walking through her neighborhood. The, the buzz has come. Jesus was on his way to a man named Jairus' house. Jairus' daughter had fallen asleep, or Jesus said she'd fallen asleep. Everybody else said that Jairus' daughter had died. And Jesus was going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And on his way, he had to go right in front of this woman's house. Now, this woman had a choice to make. She can either stand back away from the crowds and watch Jesus go like that down her street, or she can go out there and try to get his attention because she's heard that this Jesus guy 
can heal. So she's faced with a decision. If she decides to run out there into the streets and somebody sees her and they start calling unclean and they ridicule her, it's literally curtains on her cure. Or she can stay back and say, I'm fine. I'm just going to wait here. Uh, Maybe the ostrich egg will actually cure my disease or something. I'm just going to let it go. But what she does is courageous. What she does is risky. And what ends up happening is she's healed. Many of us go through that kind of decision process. All of us are faced with decisions in our lives where we sit back and we begin to weigh risks. Do we move forward or do we look around us and be comfortable or do we look back and go back to the life that we've always had? In the book of Numbers where Tim read today was a situation where much like this woman, they were faced with the decision of what do we do in this situation that we're in. They had been in the wilderness now for two and a half years. Uh, Numbers is a book that Honestly, we don't really read through accountants like numbers, but it's a different kind of number that they like. The book of numbers is a lot of genealogies and a lot of histories, but there's a lot of cool little nuggets in there for us to look at. The people of Israel are coming in, and they're right on the border of the land, close enough where Moses, God says to Moses, send some spies so you can go see the land, the promised land, what you all have been wandering for. And so Moses does just that. He sends 12 spies in, one for each tribe of the land. When I was a little uh, in Sunday school, they used to teach us a song. Uh, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Does everyone know this? 10 were bad and two were good. (laughs) You're all going to learn this. Tim's doing it afterwards. Uh, so uh, he sent 12, 12 in, 10 bad, two good. And uh, I, I can't say that without finishing the song. What do you think they saw in Canaan where 10 were bad and two were good? Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw God was in it all. Uh, and it just, it goes on. I digress. But anyway, so he sends these, you want, you want give me a beat. Uh, I'm totally kidding. Don't give me a beat. That'd be really bad. So Moses says, he sends these 12 in, 10 bad, two good. And he says, go look at this land. And then Moses says to them, bring back some grapes. Go, he says in verse 20, go, 19 in Numbers uh, 32. Uh, It says in 18, see what the land is like. In 19, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? Uh, how, How fertile is the soil? Are there trees in it? Uh, and do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. Moses was smart here. They have been living on bread, or manna, and quail for two years. And Moses says, go into the land, tell me what it looks like. Is it, is it fertile? And then bring back some grapes. And with, when you've been, <laughs> that's my son telling me no. Uh, and when you look at, when you think about it, Bring back some grapes so we can convince these people on how good this land can be. And so Moses is saying, yes, bring back some food. The way into people's hearts is through their stomachs. And so we're going to convince them that this land is good. And so the people go and they go through there and they see the land. And then they find out that there are actually other people standing there. There are other people in that land that God's given them. It's a great fact-finding mission that Moses stands on, and they bring back some evidence for it. And then they say this, 
but the people in the land. They come back and they give the report and that the people in the land and their cities are fortified. The descendants are Anak are there. The Nephilim are there. Nephilim are people that have been reported to be about nine feet tall. So think of Goliath or Shaq. And this is the people... These are the people that live there. And so the Israelites walk in and they see that the land that God has given them is occupied by big, intimidating people. And so this great idea to bring back some grapes and feed everyone a cluster so that they could taste and see that the land is good is sabotaged by the fact that these people are afraid they run into the obstacle and their first temptation after they see the obstacle is to look back. They've come where their toes have actually touched the promised land and now there's things in their ways, there's obstacles in their way, there's challenges in their way and now they wanna turn tail and go back to Egypt. They even say later in Numbers 13 uh, that why, why don't we go back to Egypt? There. Uh, it was safe. That's what we want to do. The fear forced them to want to go back to slavery. They wanted to retreat. Risk does that to us, doesn't it? When we come to a decision in our lives, we're standing at something where, where we know that God is pulling us towards, or when we see the decision and we know we should take it, but then all of a sudden we see a risk What's our first reaction? We back off. Uh, it's too risky. I, I don't want to do that. We live in a very risk-averse culture. I grew up in a town called Yorba Linda. On your, in Yorba Linda, they, they had license plate frames for people who lived there. It said, Yorba Linda, land of gracious living. Uh, and in Yorba Linda, it, proud, it was proudly safe. Speeding tickets were the only real crimes that we ever saw. It was a safe neighborhood. If you take college classes in business, you have risk management courses. How to manage risk usually ends up, how do we avoid risk? Or what's the least amount of risk that we can take in order to get a good benefit? We avoid risk to all costs in everything that we do. Our neighborhoods are safe. And it's not a bad thing that we like safety. It's not a bad thing that we desire to be safe, but when we pray for safety, when we pray for hedges of protection around everything that we do, uh, if we notice something, everything that we want to be safe, oftentimes is what God is saying, I never called you to be safe. The hedges of protection, we don't see that in scripture. In fact, we see very risky people doing very risky things for God's call. Paul broke many laws in order to write his letters. The church in Acts was a very risky way of going about it because they saw where God was leading them and it involved risk to get there. The people of Israel, the 12 spies, the 10 that were bad and two that were good, they go, they see the promised land, they taste it. It's full of milk and honey, which is a way of saying uh, milk that our cows will be able to be fed honey, that the resources of the land are rich. This land is everything that we wanted, but there's risk, and so I don't want to take it. I want to move back. And when we avoid risk, when we avoid moving forward because something might get complicated, usually what we end up doing is walking the other way from what God has called us to. 
God says, I'll take you this far, but then there's going to be some things that you have to do. And God said, I want you to go into this land and clear out the Canaanites. You're going to have some ownership in this. So when you face risk, when you face that it might be a little complicated, what's your first gut reaction? Do you turn tail? Or if you know that God has brought you to this point, do you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to take it and I'm going to take this land? When you look back, you can also look around. So they go in, they look back and they go, we wanna go back to Egypt. But then there are some people that decide, we're going to look around this place. We don't wanna go totally into the promised land. We want to be comfortable and safe. Therefore, we're not gonna settle completely into the promised land. Moses, we want to settle to the east of the Jordan River, the promised land that they were moving for, towards. They walked across the desert from Egypt. This time they were in a straight line. They walk across the desert to Egypt. They get to the Jordan River and God had promised them everything west of the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. There's a huge land that they wanted, but there were two tribes that when it came to the promised land, they didn't want to move all the way in. And in Numbers 33, the tribes of Reuben, or 32, the tribes of Reuben and Gad come to Moses and they say this. They say, uh, 32 verse 1, Reuben and Gad, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazer and Gilead, because we know where that's all at, is, is suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and said, the land that the Lord subdued before the people of Israel is suitable for livestock and your servants have livestock. If we find favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to us as a possession. Don't make us cross the Jordan. And so they get to the Jordan River. They see the promised land, Reuben and Gad, the, the tribal leaders, and say, we don't want to go across. In fact, we're fine on this side of the river. Just allow us to stay here. We have herds. This is plenty. This is good enough for us. Don't make us take that extra step because we really don't want to go in there and fight people. It seems like a logical request, right? Yeah, this is good enough. We can see the promised land. We can see that it's sitting there. We can see what it's like. We're good enough where we, where we could drive in if we needed to. We're not that far away. The Jordan River, we can swim across it, no big deal. Uh, just let us stay here. This is comfortable for us. And Moses, later in the chapter, calls them a brood of sinners. And he says, what are you thinking? Your moves here aren't going to help the rest of the 10 tribes. So they think it's a good idea. Moses looks at him and says, this is a terrible idea. There's some good with it. Yes, they're, they're, they don't have to move, but it's demoralizing to the rest of the people. When we're faced with a decision that we need to make, when God is calling us to something, oftentimes we fall into the same posture of Reuben and Gad and we start to look around like this and go, nah, this is good, I'm comfortable, I got my chair, I got my lazy boy, I'm just gonna sit here, thanks, y'all go on ahead. The temptation for us is to look around and see that we're good enough, that we got the cush life, that God might be calling us to more, to giving more, to becoming more and more like him, to having him reign in our hearts more fully, but we go, no, 
I'm good with uh, uh, church every once in a while. I don't need to join a, a smaller group. I, I don't need that. I, I'm good here. I don't need to, to, to be accountable to anybody. I got this and I'm just fine. We settle for good enough. The thing is, God doesn't call us to good enough. Imagine, and we see this in scripture, there's a calling for, from God for every single one of us to bring us into a life that is beyond what we can ever imagine. But in order to get there, we have to give up what's comfortable in order to take on what's better. We like to settle for comfortable, and when we do that, we settle for complacency. And the complacency is what causes people like the rich young ruler in Luke's gospel to say, I don't want to sell everything and give it to the poor because I like my life now. Jesus wasn't calling him to live in a life of poverty. Jesus was saying, where you are now isn't good enough. You think you have all the answers, but you're missing it still. That's complacency. You think you have all the answers. You think you have your life carved out to where it's this perfect little nook of a thing. And Jesus is calling you to more, but complacency forces us to stay right in the middle. And we miss out on the fuller blessing that God has for us. I have a friend uh, named Art, Arthur Price. Um, it's a very official name when I first met him. He's, he's a big dude. He shakes my hand. Arthur Price, nice to meet you. Uh, and so, but Arthur had this amazing job in California. He was uh, director of sales for a big old company. He was 26 years old and making in the low six figures of money. He was doing very well. Very successful, very bright, very good business sense about him. He was promoted in his company very, very fast. One time, Art, Art and I go out for dinner, and he says, Brad, I, I think I'm going to quit my job and move to Uganda. And I'm sitting here going, you are nuts. Are you kidding? You're getting paid very, very well. You're doing very well in your company. You have a gorgeous condo by the beach. Why would you, why would you do this? Just not... Don't feel rested here. Uh, there's something more for me. And I said, okay, great. And here I'm a pastor trying to con, you know, talk him out of moving to someplace where God is leading him. And so Art, Art goes to Uganda for a month. He, he has the cloud at his job to say, I'm, I'm going to take a month vacation. I'm going to go to Uganda. And he goes to Uganda. He gets hooked into a couple of organizations there, and he loves it. He comes back and a month later, he's packing all of his stuff up. He's quitting his job and even his company said, you're nuts. He's quitting his job and now he lives in Uganda and he's been there for three years. Facebook messaged him from time to time when he has internet and I say, what, what's, how's it like? And he says, I've never been better. Art is this picture of he's comfortable here making his lots of money in his Fortune 500 company. But there was so much more for Art to be doing than just cashing in his whole life. There was another step for Arthur to take. And so he moved. In his words, I feel at peace here. I feel at peace in this location, in the bush of Uganda, working with people to teach them business sense, to teach them how to take care of themselves. How to, how to provide for their families without relying on everybody else. And he's working there, and he's loving it, and he's doing a good thing. 
In Hebrews uh, 4, it tells us that we should be cautious of one thing, that we never fully enter into the rest that God has provided. And in Hebrews 3, it tells the story of the 10 spies here in Numbers. And it says they refused to enter rest because they were too busy looking back and looking around, and then they were comfortable. Imagine if that woman in Mark decided that she was too afraid of risk of being seen, that she wasn't going to go touch Jesus, so she wasn't going to go get Jesus' attention. What if the risk was too much for her? She would have never been healed. There's a, what, what if she looked around and said, I'm just going to see how these cures in the Talmud work. I'm just going to see if, if, this, uh, if the bleeding goes away. I'm fine being ostracized. I'm comfortable where I am she would have never been healed. The same kind of question is posed to us. When God is pushing us to the next, and there's always a next with God, we're never done, we're never completed in our transformation. When God is pushing you to the next, what is your tendency? To make excuses? To look backwards and go back to the comfortable? Or is your tendency to engage? There were two spies that were good. Remember, 12 bad, two good. Uh, There were two spies that thought otherwise, and they looked forward. In Numbers, Caleb stands up in, in Numbers 14, and it's in the middle of all these dissenting arguments on why we shouldn't enter the land. Caleb stands up. He's 40 years old here, and he says, I want to go. This is a good Land, we need to take the land, and then everybody else gets mad and silences him. Caleb and Joshua were were the two spies that were good. They said that God's promise is going to take us there. They had faith. Faith isn't this hope in the dark. Faith isn't this idea that everything's going to be uh, uh, peachy and rosy all the time. Faith is simply God still speaks good into shadows. That God still works even though we can't see the outcome. That's faith. Caleb and Joshua look at the land that God's promised and that where they've seen where they're going to go. They see how good God has been and then they decide, no, 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 we're going to go for it. We need this land. We don't care about the obstacles. We're going to take the land. They saw what this land could be. And they say, let's go. And they were silenced. Caleb learned the pattern that God calls you, but he always calls you to a next step. And he wanted to pursue that next step because he knew the potential that God had for them. Caleb and Joshua knew that the future of Israel was to be in that land. And when they were in that land, then they were, they were going to be a people group and a country that would reveal God's character to the rest of the world. They knew that they would be a place that would reveal justice. They knew that they would be a place that would reveal generosity and mercy and holiness and love. And this is where God is taking them. When we look at the decisions that they thought to to take the land, to go and start to embody what God has called them to be, I can't help but look at what the church is. If Israel was supposed to be this place to embody love, to embody character, to embody justice, then the church is called to the same thing. We are the church. The church is not a building you come to. The church is a people group. 
you don't come to church, you are the church. We decide to come together. This is like our staff meeting. And then we go out. The church is called to the same thing that Israel was called to, to be that light in the dark world. Some see it and they think, yes, we can go but, and we can be this place. We can be that hope to people. But then others say, no, this world's too dark. We're never going to embody that. The church should be a place where people can come regardless of who they are and we should really love them even though we might disagree with them a little bit. The church should be a place where we're welcoming to people in groups. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, we are still welcoming to them. We can be a community that stands side by side with, uh, with other people in our community that have the same heartbeat that God has for this world for things like justice for all people, for safety in our streets, for a cleaner environment, for a life of generosity more than greed. This is the vision of Israel. This is a vision that they've had ever since they crossed the Jordan River to embody these things. You were slaves, now you're not. So don't treat other people like slaves. The basic of the Mosaic law. This is what the church is called to be. We can be a light in our neighborhood that teaches kids how to read, that gives them a place to play, that allows them a place to grow. We can be that, but then we say, no, 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 it's too much risk. We don't wanna be doing that. It's too much to do, it's too much work, it's too much setup. Uh, it's too much tear down, it's too much money. We can't do any of that. We can't be that kind of place. When we start doing that, when we catch the vision of what God has for the church and we start saying no, too much work, too much time, I don't wanna volunteer for that, we become the 10 spies that say no. Or we can be the two spies that say, yes, there are a lot of giants in our way. There are a lot of nine-foot Nephilims. The descendants of Anak are there, the Amalekites, the Canaanites. There's some dude named Goliath that's going to be there. Uh, but what God has for this place is better than what we've come from. And though there is risk, though there is going to be times of uncomfortable or being uncomfortable, we are still going to look at this land and step into it and take care of it and own it. The people of Israel decided that day that they were not going to move into the land. God didn't really take too kindly to this. And he says, fine, the generation that has said no to the land will not enter the promised land. In fact, for another 38 years, you're going to go back and wander the desert until all of you are dead, except for Joshua and except for Caleb. 40 years go by. Caleb's now 40 years old or, so, or 80, 80 years old. He's 40 years older than he was. And they're going to take the land. And he comes to Joshua. Spoiler alert, they get into the land. And then they, they cross the Jordan River. And he says to Joshua, Joshua, I want the hill country. He's 80 years old at this time. He's, he's called in scripture an old guy. And he says, I, I want the country that was promised to be my, by Moses. Do you remember that day? I want that land. And all we hear Joshua say is, go get it. And he takes him and his tribe and they go and they take the hill country. 
I can imagine Caleb walking around for 38 years in the desert, kicking every rock, going, you stupid idiots. We could have been in there by now, but you all were afraid. And then finally he gets there and goes, I'm still not afraid. I still want to live for that thing that God has called us towards, and that is taking the promised land. And so when it comes to you, whether it's as simple as buying a house, whether it's simple as taking a job, whether it's as simple as quitting a job, or it could be as simple as, or as complicated as taking a meal to your neighbor, because sometimes that's the scariest thing to do, uh, or learning someone's name, or opening up a seat next to you at church so a person that is new or newer can sit next to you. What is that thing that God is calling you for to maybe risk a little bit? What's that one thing that he's moving you for that you keep saying, I, I'm afraid. I can't move there. It might be uncomfortable to reach out and congratulate somebody when I don't like it. It might be uncomfortable to put your arm around somebody who looks different than you. It might be really uncomfortable to, st to stand up for some of the injustices we see in our systems, in our streets. It might take time to volunteer in a place for an organization that's gonna take a night away from you and you really like that sitcom. What's the comfortability that holds you back from stepping in further to what God has for you? Imagine that woman that day. She, she decided that it was worth it, that the risk was enough, that she wanted to be healed, that she wanted to be whole again. And so she steps out she takes the risk, she reaches out. She doesn't get too close to Jesus, she just gets close enough where she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus notices it. He's, it the text is really interesting, and he notices power has left him. That's awesome. And so power has left him, and he looks back and goes, who touched me? And in a bit of all of the crowd where he's probably being touched in a number of ways, he's looking for that person that touched him in faith that they would be made whole again, that took the risk to get up and say, I'm going to touch him even though everything about me and the risk that it's going to take is, going, is telling me not to, I'm going to go in the face of it. And all of those people who were, called, who were around, them to, around Jesus, who looked the part who played the part, who were ushering him, even the disciples, only one person was commended for their faith that day. It was the woman who risked. It was the woman who put it all on the line and said, I'm going to touch his garment. And he looked at her and says, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. And she went back to a life that she could never imagine because she'd been stuck for 12 years. Today, where are you stuck? What's the place that's holding you back? What's the fears? What's the risk? What's the best next step for you to take? Paul tells the story in Philippians. He says, we press on for the goal that's ahead of us. We move forward forgetting what's behind and we move on towards the goal of Christ. For Paul, his life was, the wind, was out the windshield and not the mirrors. You can't drive a car by looking in your mirrors. You'll always crash. But if you look forward in what God is taking you to, you will always get there. And it's always a next step. What's the next step for you today? And what's your risk? And where's God going to move in them? Pray with me.
Father, we thank you that you call us always to the next. You're never settled with where we are. You love us where we are, but you refuse to let us live that way. There's always a next step, and we thank you for that. Lord, may you go through our hearts and begin to identify uh, through your spirit the ways in which that we are settling for complacency in our lives. Whether it's leading in a certain way, whether it's taking a, a risk in our work, whether it's taking a risk in our home, whether it's a risk in a conversation that might get a little awkward. Lord, would you enable us and give us the power through your spirit to risk to take that step like Caleb and Joshua did and see that you are good, that where you are calling us is always better than where we are. May we risk. But in your name we pray.